Amen. Praise the Lord. That's a Monday night. Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles to John chapter 2. We're moving right along. John chapter 2 in our study tonight. Tonight we're going to continue our march through the gospel of John. And, and really what we're seeing is unimaginable. We are seeing so much. And it's, it's really this giant avalanche uh, that's falling down on top of us. Uh, we're seeing so much. Who is Jesus? And so many different things. And what is our gospel? And, and so many different things. And then who is Jesus? And a bunch of different things. And, and, who, and what is our gospel? And, and it seems every day we're adding to our understanding something else. Every day we're, we're adding another piece, another truth to our understanding of our Savior, Jesus, and the good news of salvation through faith in Him. Well, uh, tonight in the middle of that avalanche... Uh, I, I want to make, I want to start with this statement tonight. In the middle of, of that avalanche, I want to make this statement. Our gospel is miraculous because our Savior is supernatural. That's a big truth. Hear that. Our gospel is miraculous because our Savior is supernatural. Now listen to that. Our, our gospel is miraculous. It is not Normal. It cannot be produced by any normal means. It involves uh, the passing from death unto life. It is accomplished in resurrection power, and it is a miraculous gospel. We need to understand that. We need to remember that. Outside of the miraculous, we're not saved. We have no hope. We have a miraculous gospel, and it is because our Savior is supernatural. We need to remember that. Our Savior is supernatural. He is infinite in power. He is infinite in might. He is life. The Bible tells us that. He's the creator of life, the sustainer of life, the giver of new life. He is born of a miracle. He is resurrected in a miracle. He ascends in a miracle. Our Savior is supernatural. He is not normal. Do you know the human tendency is to try to bring Jesus down from the height of his glory. And that's always been the case. That's even more so, I believe, in the day we're living in. Uh, we want to bring him down to our normal perspective. And folks come along, and if they say anything of Christ, they'll say, well, he's a, he's a teacher. He's a great teacher, a, a profound teacher. Or he's a prophet. There's other religions that will say he is a prophet. He's a wise cleric. He, 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 he is a, a good example. And, and you know what? If you'll just follow him, he's a good example for you. No, listen to me. He is the Son of God, and he is supernatural. Our gospel is miraculous because our Savior is supernatural. Listen to this for just a second. One of my prayers and one of our prayers during this 100-day process, uh, this hundred days of, of handling such terrific truth, is that we need not grow cold to it. And that needs to be a prayer. Look what we're holding, these tremendous truths. But you know what? Over the course of a hundred days, we need to be praying that it would not become common to us. You know, that's a risk for us as we read this, as we study this. We might say, you know what? It's, it's been 45 days. It's been 65 days, and we might grow cold to us. Well, let me just tell you this. If we will pray that God will astound us, I promise you he will every day. And you know what? As we're preparing every evening, God astound me this evening. 
as we're preparing on Sunday, God, astound me this morning. As we're going to watch on the internet, if that's how you're watching, God, astound me on this day. And I promise you, he will astound you in the truth of his word. Our gospel is miraculous because our Savior is supernatural. Tonight, our message is entitled, The Glory of a Supernatural Savior. How, how perfect those songs were we were just singing. Uh, the glory of a supernatural Savior. Tonight, we're in John chapter 2, moving along, verses 1 through 11. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. The glory of a supernatural Savior. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. God's Word says this, beginning in the first verse. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Verse 11, this beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come tonight and we, we come seeking you. We come seeking your truth. We come seeking a closer knowledge, a walk with you, a closer, a deeper knowledge of you. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. Lord, we come and we, we pray in the, in, the, in the mundane world that we live in that we would be astounded this evening, that on night 10, that, that we would see things we haven't seen, that we would remember things that we've long forgotten, that we would be astounded by the glory of our risen, resurrected Savior, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would talk. I pray that you would move. I pray that you would lead. And I pray that you'd be known and glorified through it. I pray if there's one in this room, one somewhere listening to this that does not know you, I pray that tonight in the hearing of good news that they might turn to you and trust you for their salvation. Lord, we do love you so much. We do praise you. We do seek to exalt you. We give you this hour. In your name I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we begin tonight, remember John's reason for writing this gospel. Now, we're looking at the good news according to John. We're looking at his gospel. So remember his reason for writing this gospel. He writes that we may believe. In fact, he, he writes that many will believe. In fact, he writes that all will believe. He tells us that, and that in believing that Jesus is the Savior, that he is the Messiah, that in believing we might be 
saved. And so understand, remember tonight while he is, why he is writing this gospel and that we would believe and that in believing we would be saved. Well, tonight we see Jesus is acting, Jesus is working also so people will believe. His actions that we're going to study tonight, his movements are deliberate to stir belief in people. And the, the point of his action in John chapter 2 He does what he does so that people will believe. And so we read this account and say, well, that's an awesome account. That's a wonderful account. There's a lot there. Listen, he is acting. He is moving so that people will believe. All right, let's look at our verses tonight, beginning in verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, the verse starts on the third day. Now, when I read that, I want to say, wow, what a week it has been. Now, if we think that we have had a week, I want you to see their week. In this week, a delegation comes to interrogate John the Baptist. There is a commotion. There is a stir over his his meeting out there at the Jordan River. So a, a delegation comes to interrogate John the Baptist. Not only that, crowds of people are coming to repent of their sin and be baptized. It says Jerusalem was coming. In fact, all the area of Judea and those around the Jordan River, these crowds, multitudes are coming to repent and be baptized. In this week, the forerunner is announced. Who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you a prophet? No, the, the forerunner is announced. Not only that, the Savior is introduced. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. In this week, the Savior is introduced. Not only that, in this week, Jesus is baptized. In that event, the the Father speaks. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. In that, the Holy Spirit descends. Not only that, if that's not enough, the disciples are called in this week. And we looked at that last night. The disciples are called. Now, not only that, great events are foretold of. And that's all in this week. What a week that has been. And so what do you do after a week like that? Evidently, you go to a wedding. That's what they do. They go to a wedding. It says there is a wedding in Cana. Uh, It is a small town eight miles from Nazareth. And so it's there in Galilee. It's close to Nazareth. It's not, uh, not much of a town, but it's this small town eight miles from Nazareth. It says in the mother of Jesus, now it doesn't call her name in the of Jesus was there. The mother of Jesus was there. Now, I want us to to think about this. At this point, uh, Joseph hasn't been mentioned in the gospel accounts uh, since the account when Jesus was 12 years old. And so Joseph hasn't been mentioned for a number of years, and most likely he had died by this point. Uh, Most likely at this point, almost certainly, Mary was a widow at this point. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, verse 2. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Now, that is a crazy thing in hindsight. Uh, In context, these people were probably friends. The ones having the wedding, these involved in the wedding party, they were probably friends. In context, 
it was probably very normal to ask Mary and her son. And so in context, we see this is a normal thing, but in hindsight, in, in looking back, think about this, Jesus, the Savior, the King of kings, God himself, attended somebody's wedding. Now, I think about that in hindsight. Now, that's a crazy thing. That's a, that's a wild thing. God attended somebody's wedding in the person of Jesus. Now, talk about a guest list. Who's coming? Well, God is. He's coming, person of Jesus. Before we leave verse 2, I want to make a suggestion here. Here's my suggestion. This should be our pattern today as well. Listen very carefully, Christians. Our pattern today as well. Today I, I watch weddings and I preside over weddings. And, and some of y'all can testify to this. People get all stressed out over weddings. And I've heard the craziest discussions over weddings. I've been in this and it's the first and the third step. And it is not the second and the fourth step. And I've heard about the clothes we're going to wear. And, I, and they, did you see what her mother had on? And I can't believe she wore that thing up here. And did you see those flowers? We ordered them three months earlier. And I, I can't believe those flowers. And people get all worked up and they worry and they spend money they don't have. That's okay. We'll go borrow against something. And they do all these things to impress people. Most of them they don't even like. They borrow all the crazy ideas of the world. Well, the world likes that. The world appreciates that. And we drag those ideas into our wedding, and they go absolutely crazy. When here's the truth, listen very carefully. We should make our wedding as followers of Christ all about Jesus and his people. And I read that verse this afternoon, and Jesus and his disciples were invited. We ought, to, we ought to center our weddings. You know what? Forget all that other nonsense. We ought to center our weddings on the person of Jesus and his people and how awesome that would be. Now, that's a free suggestion. It'll probably save you a lot of money. All right, verse 3. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. That's a simple verse. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, said to Jesus, they have no wine. Now, let me explain this to you. In this day, in this culture, a wedding was a major event. In fact, it's one of the biggest events of their life. Now, to start off, the bride and the groom would be betrothed. And at that point, they were actually counted as married. They'd have to divorce to separate Yet they did not live together as husband and wife. Uh, during this time when they are betrothed, but they're living apart, uh, the groom would make preparations for their married life. He would make preparations to receive and to care for his bride. And so he would get the things ready. He would make sure they have a job and they have a place to live and they're going to make it just fine. And he would go in the, in the routine of preparing to be married. Now, that time could last several months. Uh, rarely it could last as long as a year. Well, at the end of the betrothed period, at the end of that period, they would set a day and the groom would make his way to the bride's house. Now, talk about a day of celebration. He has gotten everything ready. This has been planned and he makes his way to the bride's house. At the bride's house, she would come out and with her people, her attendants, she would join the procession. She would join 
this great parade. And they would make their way back to the groom's house. And at the groom's house, they would have the ceremony and a great celebration banquet. And so they would wind their way through the streets and they would be happy, they would be glad, and this period is about over and they're going to be married. And they would get to the groom's house and there would be this great banquet of celebration that could last all day. In fact, many times it lasted several days. It was a big deal. Well, for the wine to run out was a shameful thing. It was an embarrassing thing. It meant either they ran out of money, they, they'd been pretending, they acted like they had money. It meant that they failed to plan. They didn't take it serious. And maybe they got busy doing something else, but they had failed to plan. They hadn't taken care of their business. And it was an embarrassing thing, even a shameful thing, for the wine to run out. Well, evidently Mary is close enough to the family to know the situation at hand. And I don't know if she's there and maybe she's helping. Uh, maybe she's there helping one of her dear friends. But evidently she is close enough to the family to know the problem that has developed, to know the, the dilemma that is at hand. And so she comes to Jesus. And in verse 3 it says this. Here's what she says to Jesus. They have no wine. They have no wine. All right, let's look at verse 4. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Now, let me just be honest with you. Verse 4 is a very strange verse. It is a very strange verse. Notice in verse 3, she doesn't ask Jesus to do anything. Uh, sometimes we act like, well, she came and, 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 and uh, implored him, asked him to do something. She doesn't ask in verse 3 for him to do anything. But in verse 4, Jesus says, woman... It was not a term of endearment. It was a term of respect, like ma'am. And so he says, ma'am, what does that have to do with us? How does that concern us, ma'am? And he says, my hour has not yet come. Now, there's lots of different ideas about that statement. It's a hard statement to figure. Uh, it seems to mean my, my hour of glorification is not yet here. It's not, it's not time yet. It seems to mean that. But that's what he says, all right, verse 5. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, she hadn't asked him to do anything, and yet she expects him to do something. Notice that. She hadn't asked him in verse 3 to do anything, and yet it seems she expects him to do something. Now, maybe he's the oldest son, and so she thinks, you know what, he always takes care of everything. He'll take care of it. Uh, maybe she thinks he'll run and he'll secure some more wine. Maybe he'll tell these servants and they'll split up and go several different directions and, and secure enough wine. Maybe she knew, I don't know how she would have, maybe she knew the miraculous was about to happen. What she says is, whatever he says do, then you do that. Verse 6. Now, wow. Now, there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Now, I want you to see this here in verse 6. I want you to understand this. This, this wasn't the wedding china. These were pots. They were not extravagant dishes. These weren't the dishes that you would pull out to impress all the guests. No, they were stone water parts, water pots, listen to this, 
that were used to wash the guests' hands. Not only that, they were there to wash the dirty dishes. They had a purification system. You have to wash the dishes in this manner. And so these aren't the, the cherished dishes. These are the practical pots with a common purpose. And so when the guests came up, when the guests made their way there, and they, they tramped their way in, they traveled their way in, the, the dust from the road, the dirt from the day, they would wash off in these pots. Not only that, the, the dirty dishes from the, from the feast that's going on as the courses are being served, the, the dirty dishes are brought, and the refuge, really the trash of the meal, were washed off in these pots. And so these weren't the dainty dishes. These weren't the fancy fare for the wedding. These were the stone pots for a dirty use. Verse 7. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them to the brim. Now to the brim, it's worth pointing out here. It was common Evidently, they were like we are in our day, and they're trying to impress folks. It was common to water down the wine. And so you would have some wine there, and you might pour some water in it. Or you might have some water there and pour a little bit of wine in it and call it wine. That was a common thing, to add water to the wine. But he says, fill them, notice, to the brim. Fill them to the brim. There's no room to add anything to this. We're not going to spike it. We're not going to add something to it and call it something else. He says, in documenting the miracle, fill them to the brim. There's no room to add any further volume. Verse 8. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. Verse 9. When the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who drawn the water knew, yes, they did, the head waiter called the bridegroom. Now, the head waiter evidently didn't know the catastrophe that was going on. The head waiter evidently, and how he responds, hadn't heard of the crisis of the wine shortage. And so when he tastes it, he calls the bridegroom. When he tastes the wine, he calls the bridegroom to himself. Now, I want you to remember this. Remember this bridegroom is the one whose reputation is on the line. Now, this head waiter, he's got a job to do. He's, got a, he's, he's been secured most likely to, to cover this area. But the bridegroom is the one whose reputation is on the line. This is the one that stood to be shamed in the shortfall, if there's not enough, they're the one they're gonna, he's the one they're going to point to. More than that, the bridegroom, let's just be serious about it, this is the one that failed in his planning. That's why we got the problem in the first place. This is the one that hadn't secured enough wine for the banquet. So if you want to blame somebody, this is the guy to blame. He didn't take care of his business. He didn't get enough wine. And if there's a shortfall, it is his fault. This is the one whose failure would embarrass his family and even his bride. Well, you know about him, don't you? He didn't have enough wine. Well, you know what he did during that three months? He didn't take care of his business. Even his bride would be embarrassed. And honestly, ultimately, it was his fault. Verse 10. And said to him, the head waiter called the bridegroom into verse 9 and now verse 10 and said to him, every man serves the good wine first 
And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine unto now. I, I want you to see this. In this event, Jesus had done the miraculous. You want to know the glory of God? You want to know who Jesus is? You want to see our supernatural Savior? In this event, Jesus had done the miraculous. Now, the reason he had done the miraculous is because he is a supernatural Savior. We've already talked about that, but listen, see what he does here. Jesus takes a calamity and miraculously he turns it into a celebration. Jesus takes a wreck and miraculously, he turns it into a witness. Listen, we're still talking all about this. He takes what is empty, what is run out, and miraculously, what he's done, it is overflowing. Oh, but listen to me, it's more than that. He takes what is common, and miraculously, he makes it exquisite. He takes what is dirty, and miraculously, he makes it clean. He takes a failure, and miraculously, he makes it a success. And in all of that, listen very carefully, see this. He lifts the shame off of this man. In God's grace, his failing did not matter. In God's grace, his shortfall was covered up. In God's grace, his name was cleared. And what should have been a disgrace for him, what should have been an embarrassment to him, in the grace and the power of Jesus now ends in joy and a celebration. Isn't that our Savior? Isn't that Jesus? Isn't that our Savior? I couldn't help but think there, oh, look at his glory. Look at his glory. Do you know there'll be another time when it's almost the reverse of this? And they will take wine, except the Bible says it's sour wine, and they will take it to his lips. And they will press a spear into his side, and blood will flow out. And in doing so, he takes our shame. Isn't that our Jesus? Verse 11. Woo, verse 11. The beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. What a great sentence. The beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. This, the beginning of his signs. Now there's more to follow. We know that. But the beginning of his signs, the Bible says he did in Cana of Galilee. This little town, this obscure town that didn't mean much to anybody else outside of this event. In, Ga in Cana of Galilee, it says he manifested his glory. It means he made known he revealed the original language means that you would hold up like a light. If you're going to make something manifest, you wouldn't try to cover it up, but you would break it out like a great light. And in this town and in this event, he manifested his glory. Our Savior is supernatural. Our Savior is God. Oh, the glory of our Savior. And then here's this weird sentence, weird ending. And his disciples believed in him. That's how this section ends. And his disciples believed in him. The Greek word there for believe means to trust, to believe, to be persuaded. That's what it translates. 
to trust, to believe, to be persuaded. Now, this is a strange statement here. His disciples have already followed him, have they not? His disciples have already left the things of their life and in trust followed him. That's the only reason you would do that. They had trusted him. They had even called him the Christ. They would even called him the, the King of Israel. He is the Messiah. Listen, they believed in him, but then all of a sudden it says, and yet they believed in him. Friends, here's what I'm finding out. The closer you get to Jesus, the deeper your faith is in Jesus. And listen, it's never, it's never the opposite. It's never, it never is the opposite. The closer you get to Jesus, the, the more you know Jesus, the more you see Jesus, the more you believe. You see that? And that's what I believe. That's what I believe is happening here. The, the, the closer you are to him and the more you know him and the deeper you see him, the more you believe in him. And it grows and it grows and it grows. Listen, I was thinking about this. In fourth grade, my dad walked behind my sister and I to the front to the altar of the North Phoenix Baptist Church. My pastor, I remember he met me there and I remember there at the grade, looking back and seeing my dad, and for the first time in my life, I saw tears run off of his face, and we stood there, and we professed faith in Jesus Christ, and I want to tell you today, I believed, I know I did, I believed. On another day, on my wedding day, Carrie and I walked to the front of the First Baptist Church in Canyon, and we made vows before God. I know I didn't know much, she knew probably more than I did, but we made vows before God, and I want to tell you on that. I believed. I know I did. I believed. A few years later, my friend took his own life, and I began to sense that something was changing in our life. And I remember walking out of a church behind a casket and wondering what in the world happened, where in the world we go from here. But I want to tell you, I believed. I know I did. I believed. About a year after that, I remember hearing the call of God to be a preacher. And I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what I'm supposed to say about that. But during that year, Carrie and I walked to the aisle of the First Baptist Church here in Vernon, and I told God, listen, I don't know about your choice. I'd find somebody better if I were you. But I'm going to tell you, I believe. I know I do. I believe. 2010, God called, and this church voted. And we walked up here as a young family to the altar of the Calvary Baptist Church. And I was called as the pastor of this church, and I want to tell you, I believed, I know I believed, I believed. And listen to me tonight, I could keep going, I could go on and on, but through all of the ups and through all of the downs and through all of the births and all of the death, through joys that are unimaginable, through hurts that are unspeakable, I believed, I know I did, I believed, but I want to tell you tonight, on the 10th night, on the way to 100 nights, I believe tonight like I've never believed, and I want to tell tonight, Jesus, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're my King, and you're my hope, and you're my reason, and I want to tell you tonight, I believe, I believe, I believe. And the call of Scripture and the call of Jesus is believe. Do you know he calls us to believe? He doesn't want us to be stagnant in that. He calls us, see me. And believe. And after this, 
Back up, verse 11. In this beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Here's the question. Have you believed? Have you believed? Are you believing now? Are you growing in that belief? Do you know Jesus more today than you've ever known him? That's the call of Scripture. That's the call of Jesus. Have you believed? Let's pray. During Father, we come. I'm thankful that you're compassionate. I'm thankful that you're kind. I'm thankful you don't write us off. You don't cast us over on some trash heap. You should have. You could have. But you love us. You call us to believe, and we rebel. You call us to believe, and we go our own way. You call us to believe. And you send your word and you make it obvious to us. You make it plain to us and you call us to believe. And in believing, we are saved in your grace and in your power. Lord, thank you. And then as believers, as those that are saved, not of any work of our own, but in belief, call us deeper. You call us to a, to a greater faith and a deeper belief. In your compassionate grace, you help the process move along. Lord, I'm thankful that I can tell you I believe, but I can also tell you I'm more thankful that I have not believed in vain, and I have not believed in my hope been dashed. For you are faithful, and great is your faithfulness shown to me. Lord, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. We love you, Lord. Lord, I pray for some tonight that maybe they don't believe, and maybe they're facing the turmoil and the trouble of non-belief, and maybe they're here in this room, maybe they're listening somewhere else. Lord, I pray that in the preaching of good news that tonight would be the night. This very day, the 10th day, would be the day that they turn and they grab a hold in belief. Help them, Lord. Help them, Lord. Help them. Lord, I pray for us that we've trusted you. We believe. Lord, I pray as we move through these verses, we move through these accounts that that we would go home and our belief would be greater and our trust would be greater and our resolve would be greater and our compassion would be greater and our commitment to the gospel would be greater. Lord, shape us as our belief grows. Forgive us, Lord, where we take our eyes off of, where we get distracted. Lord, we come, we're thankful for this message. We're thankful for your truth. We're thankful for your call and your testimony of Scripture and for your very heart that wants us to believe. We give you this time of invitation, Lord, and I pray that in it would be the fruit of your gospel, that there would be belief tonight. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response, a time of invitation. Let me tell you, what a, what a sad thing to present the gospel but not call people to it. And I want to tell you the good news of the gospel is this. We have a Savior, and he lives today. His name is Jesus. He came, he lived a life of no sin, that he may offer himself in our place in the stead of sinners. And that's what he does at Calvary. He goes and he dies your death, he dies my death. He takes my shame, shame worse than running out of wine, shame for sin and rebellion. He takes it to the cross and he settles it there. He pays for it there. There he's taken off of that cross. He's dead, it's paid. They put him in a borrowed tomb and there for three days, he is actually physically dead, the payment for sin. And three days later, he walks out of that grave and he stands as the risen, reigning Lamb of God, our King 
our hope, Jesus. The Bible says the good news is this. If you'll profess faith in him, if you'll turn to him, repenting of your sin and just turning to him in faith, here's what the Bible says. You shall be saved. Finished transaction by faith in Jesus. If you've never done that tonight, if you're here in this room, if you're somewhere else, do that tonight. Turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. He will forgive you. He will save you. You will be saved. We're going to close again with a time of invitation. If you're here and you need to make that decision, if you want to, you want to talk more about it, you need more information, you settle that today. Don't leave her tonight without that settled. If you're here and you've made that decision, but you need to follow in believer's baptism as the one did yesterday, as a testimony, a witness to what we believe of Christ, in obedience to Christ, you come as well. Maybe you're here looking for a church home and you've prayed about it. You believe God's led you here as well. You come. We'll uphold his word, uphold his good news, and we'll point to his gospel until he comes again. Maybe you want to come pray here at an altar. Maybe you want to pray for these that are listening by some other means. Maybe you want to pray for a movement of God to come from this proclamation effort. Maybe you've got something going on in your life and no one knows about it. You want to come pray with me or, or pray at this altar as well. I'm going to ask that no one stir about or head for an exit. Truly the most important time, the time to respond to God's truth. As we stand and sing, if you have a decision to make, you step out. You come on, I'll meet you here. You come on, I'll meet you here. <laughs>